Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald face truth. Oregon was pretty damn good on Saturday against BYU at Autzen Stadium. The Ducks played good defense. They were good on special teams. Quarterback Bo Nix. Lights out. It was great. Terrific. We got good Bo. That's Bo Nix. As in six. It was a big diversion for the Bo Nix narrative from the opening week of the season. And it's what I would love to be starting today's show talking about. Like to talk about the Ducks, big win, statement, Dan Lanning, all of that. But I can't do it. I can't start today's show that way as long as the national story is about something else. A thin stripe of fans in Hudson Stadium chanting, bleep the Mormons. That's become the story. Like it or not, the vast majority of fans who were at Hudson Stadium were not chanting, bleep the Mormons. They were cheering for their football team. But when people lose civility and the governor of the state of Utah has to come out and really ask about the bigotry and the hate and what's going on in Oregon. Maybe some of this is BYU's fan base uh, having enough of, uh, you know, being the bad guy, but uh, Oregon's fan base taking its turn in the last uh, 24 to 48 hours. As the story uh, with the Washington Post and the New York Times and Fox and everywhere else nationally is not about how great Oregon looked on the field, but it's about misbehaving fans inside the stadium and what to do about them. What do you make of what happened Saturday at Autzen Stadium? The chance from fans, if you've been to Autzen Stadium and other stadiums, you know that fans sometimes get unruly. Fans sometimes say offensive things. Sometimes they say idiotic things. But I would love to start today's show by talking about how good the football team looked on the field. But as long as the national story is... Hey, some people in the student section were chanting. That's how I want to start today's show. You tell me what was happening at Autzen Stadium on Saturday. University of Oregon has apologized via Twitter for the quote-unquote offensive and disgraceful chant that was coming from the student section uh, during the game against Brigham Young University. It was a great win for Oregon, but it was overshadowed by the disappointing uh, chant that I didn't hear. I was in the stadium. I was in the press box. Granted, I am opposite the student section at Autzen Stadium, so I'm about as far away as you can get from the student section. I can see the student section, but I often can't hear the student section. Uh, And I didn't hear this chant on Saturday. Certainly from the press box, I didn't. But I would love today's show to have started about, you know, hey, what a great defensive effort from Oregon. What great play calling there was. What a great performance that was by Bo Nix. But this is an example of how a thin stripe of fans can turn what should have been a wonderful day into something disappointing, and it becomes a national news story. Uh, BYU uh, has accepted Oregon's apology. 
Oregon says it's investigating the students. We're in an era where with mobile devices and phones, it's pretty easy for people to take video and go, look, look at the horrible fans at Autzen Stadium, when the truth is, you know, 48,000 people were probably doing the right thing and maybe 50 to 100 people were not. And in the end, you have a bunch of students who are probably worried that they're going to be banned for life or banned for the season from Autzen Stadium. You've got the pit crew at Oregon apologizing for the chant. You have other people coming forth and going, look, what's the big deal? You know, uh, I've been to basketball and football games where they say bleep the refs or they say bleep the opposing team. Uh, you know, uh, and, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, taking anything away from the conversation, but this is what people will say. And I've heard this today. It's been sort of rationalized like it happens everywhere, but it shouldn't happen in this way. Not at Autzen Stadium. And I got to be honest, I was going to talk anyway about whether or not Oregon should even be scheduling BYU. I have a whole nother take on this, but this is overshadowed by the conversation that is going on nationally social media between these universities and a lot of finger pointing going on and i want your reaction to it at 503-417-7575 great show today we're going to talk all about the pac-12 my spider senses are tangling i wrote about it today at johnconzano.com the my spidey senses they are a, a tingling the pac-12 has been real quiet in the last couple of weeks and a couple of my sources are acting like they are knee deep in the deliberations and this is a divergence from where the conference sources were a few weeks ago and even a month ago. But I got this sneaking suspicion. I have a sneaking suspicion that we could get some direction, some clarity, some news. Something's coming on the Pac-12 front as it relates to media rights, as it relates to conference expansion. Um, you know, last week we were talking a lot about the debut of NFL's Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime. Amazon stalling today, saying they don't have the numbers yet. They're waiting. They want a little more time. The numbers are supposed to be out today. Usually with traditional linear television, they get the numbers the very next morning. But it's a little more complicated with the streamers. And so Amazon's saying, hey, we need just a little more time on this. So Amazon is delaying releasing the ratings from Thursday Night Football. Uh, I think that's interesting. But the question remains, would the Pac-12 go all in with streaming? Is the money there? And if so, um, does it mean that the Pac-12 is willing to turn its back on the traditional linear providers? Is it willing to turn its back on ESPN and the propaganda machine at ESPN and go, look, we're going in another direction? Major League Soccer did it. Uh, also, we have expansion looming. Uh, San Diego State, SMU, UNLV, Boise State, Fresno State, uh, Conference USA, are they going after Rice, somebody else, Louisiana Tech? I don't know. But uh, I think we're going to get some kind of clarity this week. I would be surprised in the next three or four days if something doesn't kind of find its way out there. And I'm going to do my best to, to be that person to get it out there. But it's just it's nothing I know concrete. It's just my sources who have been all too happy to talk on the record to this point, are now going, we got to wait until the dust settles. Or we got to wait until we get to the other side. Can't be quoted on this. It kind of makes me feel like the other side is at least within view of the windshield. Like they can see the other side and they're going, hey, we're right there. There's nothing to be said right now. We don't want to mess up this negotiation. So 
I feel like the Pac-12 is probably amid some serious questions, may have a fork in the road in front of it, uh, and is trying to figure out what it's going to do. So uh, my spider senses are tingling. We'll have more on that on today's show. We'll talk about Herm Edwards, who was fired by Arizona State over the weekend. Bad loss for Arizona State. They lose to Eastern Michigan. And Herm Edwards is a 20-point favorite in that game. Loses the game. He's starting the season one or two. His university president, Michael Crow, his athletic director, Ray Anderson, decided on Sunday morning that they could no longer do this. They parted ways. Everybody's saying it's mutual. I'm not sure if it's mutual, but uh, I can tell you this. There's a video circulating, and I posted it at johnconzano.com, of Herm Edwards, and he's meeting with Michael Crow and Ray Anderson on the field. Um, a lot of people have speculated he got fired on the field. Uh, I'm told he did not get fired on the field. It just looked like everybody on the field kind of knew it was over in that moment. If you're reading body language, Michael Crow barely looks at Herm Edwards. Uh, Ray Anderson, who's close friends with Herm Edwards, is kind of putting his hand on Edwards' back. Um, I, I am likely told, I am told that it was likely that what happened on the field there was just uh, the university president and the athletic director saying, hey, we need to meet with you later. We'll meet tomorrow. Okay, Herm Edwards went his separate way, and now they have all gone their separate way. Is Arizona State a sleeping giant? We'll drill on that today. Everybody says that all the time. I say it all the time. But are they really a sleeping giant? We'll talk about it on today's show, among other things. Plus, the lack of respect for Oregon State and Washington State. Can't get any votes in the AP Top 25. All they are is undefeated. All they are is overlooked. But Washington State and Oregon State have both started this season undefeated. The strength of the Pacific Northwest is undeniable. 11-1, a collective 11-1 between Washington, Washington State, Oregon, and Oregon State. Aside from the Georgia Bulldogs, the Pacific Northwest is undefeated this season. The strength of this conference is right here in our region. What's going to happen with these teams? I took a deep look at the schedule. I've got some thoughts on it. We'll talk about that and a whole bunch more. But I want your phone calls off the top of the show here about what happened with the Oregon fans and the BYU chants at Autzen Stadium. What do you make of it? What should happen? How, tr how problematic is this? And what happened to our civility? Really, isn't that the core of things? Like, we are in uncivil times. The loss of civility on social media, the loss of civility in the comment section on websites, the loss of civility at the stadiums. I mean, it's all pointing in the same direction. Like, we got to get it together. Let's go to the phone lines. 503-417-7575. Andrew's in Portland, and he's going to lead us off. Andrew, what's up, man? Hey, thanks for taking my call, John. Hey, I think there's a difference in, you know, kind of rivalries where, you know, maybe you chant bleep the Huskies and, you know, there's bad blood there, but, you know, it's, it's a two-way street. With BYU, they came out carrying, you know, a Spencer Webb flag. Um, and, and we're really classy. And I think there's a difference in insulting another team and then insulting an entire religion. And I think that's a very different kind of thing. Um, and I think as a response, you know, the president and the AD should get together and close the student section and then sell those seats to the opposing team hmm. and allow opposing teams to have a larger crowd there and, uh, you know, make it, make it hurt for the fan base and let us know that, you know, the bad apples won't be tolerated. And then take those proceeds and tell BYU, hey, like, name a, name a charity that you want this, uh, these proceeds from these extra seats we sold. Like, where do you want it to go? 
Yeah, I, I kind of wonder about the student section in general. Uh, you know, look, school's not in session, but students clearly were there at the game and students are moving into town and we're soon going to see students uh, at Research Stadium as well and around the Pac-12. But the universities generally reserve those seats for students because there are fees associated with students uh, going to school there, and those fees help pay for the tickets. And so as part of that negotiation with the student body, you know, the universities, the respective universities, and Oregon and Oregon State are not alone here, they all sort of look at um, those student seats and go, look, uh, they're paying for these seats already, so we can't take them away. The other thing is, like, not all students were chanting at the game, F the Mormons. Like, not everybody was chanting that, and so I really hesitate to punish the entire student body for the actions of I don't know how many people. But it wasn't everybody. I, I, I am more of the mindset of this is symptomatic of our times, the loss of civility, those who are responsible need to be banned from the stadium this season at least. And the University of Oregon and others need to do a better job on game day inside the stadium when st something like that is happening. Like, I think a lot of people were not aware of what was going on. And I think a lot of people only know because somebody had a camera. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying, uh, you know, I was at the stadium. I had no idea it was happening until later when I saw social media and I went, oh. That kind of sucks. And I can't imagine the BYU fans, if they heard it if, while being at Autzen Stadium, being very comfortable with that. I wasn't comfortable with it when I saw it afterwards. 503-417-7575. More of your phone calls. Coming up at 4 o'clock, we're going to Arizona. Why? Doug Holler of The Athletic. He covers Arizona State. He's going to tell us what happened with Herm Edwards. What went wrong and where is Arizona State pivoting? All of that ahead, but your phone calls coming up. You tell me what to make of... Oregon, the student section, and the chance on Saturday. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Bo Nix looked really good. I got to say, I left the game going, you know what? It's his team his season at Oregon and I think that's what I would have started today's show by talking about or maybe talking about the lack of respect for the Pac-12 teams by AP voters what do you have to do if you're Oregon State what do you have to do if you're Washington State and it's not a kickoff time thing in the case of Washington State they beat Wisconsin broad daylight in front of the whole country uh, nobody seems to give the Pac-12 respect is it a halo effect? Is it brand-oriented? What is it? We'll talk about it later in the show. I want to talk now and take your phone calls on the Oregon fans at Autzen Stadium. Full disclosure, I was in the stadium. I have two ears. I did not hear the chant, so it wasn't audible to me from across the way. I've had other people in the stadium say I had no idea either, but video captured the student section at Oregon chanting F the Mormons. And the governor in Utah has come out and condemned it, and Oregon has apologized, and the Oregon pit crew has apologized, and I'm sure Oregon is investigating. But what do you make of it as a sports fan? 503-417-7575. Let's go to Iowa. Seth is in Iowa calling in. Seth, what's up? 
My name is Chad, sir, but thank okay. you. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, so my mom lives in Utah. She's a converted Mormon. Um, my, my take on it is it's just stupid kids, but I want to, to go back to last year when BYU played in USC. USC fans chanted the same thing, but BYU won, and there was no call-out on it. Yeah. So I'm not saying that it's because they lost that they're calling it out, but I'm saying that it almost seems like uh, because they did lose that they're going to make a bigger deal of it. Well, than I, maybe. I also think there's a chance that it got more play because of the BYU-Duke volleyball incident. BYU directly involved in that. Tom Holmo, the athletic director at BYU, I got on the elevator at Autzen Stadium before the game, and he was in the elevator. And I looked over at him and I said, hey, you know, it's been a long couple of weeks for that guy. Like, it was written all over him. Talked to him for a minute on the elevator, just, you know, small talk. But I was looking at Homo going, man, they've been, it's been a hard, because the entire university community at BYU has had to apologize for what one or two fans did at a volleyball match. Now you have the same thing at Oregon. And I don't want to dismiss it as, hey, it's just kids. Because we, you know, if we do, hey, it's just kids, it's offensive. It's offensive. If it's offensive, it's not right. And it shouldn't, it doesn't have a place in the stadium. But what should have happened? What should the response have been? And how did we end up here? What's with the lack of civility? Matt is in Gresham. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Um, so I just wanted to comment about it. One is, um, I'll just start by saying this. I was telling a coworker of mine recently that I was an Oregon Ducks fan because he's a fairly new coworker. And he's like, he's like, oh, man, it's like, Ducks fans are kind of jerks. And I was like, oh, shoot. I was like, we're labeled with that. And then I read your article today about what happened in the student section, and I had no idea that that was going on. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I was like, that doesn't help, like, the case if – Somebody from outside of the state of Oregon looks at an or he looks at the collective Oregon fan base as a whole and says, "Yeah, they're pretty much jerks and they haven't really won anything." And then we start acting like this. It becomes more of a uh, it becomes less of just a few kids being stupid and more of a this is the fan base and you're the face of the fan base and especially in a really politicized world right now and where a lot of things is. A lot of things are caught on camera um, or on audio. Like, it's a really volatile thing, especially when you get into religion, politics, race, anything of that nature um, is just a hotbed. And I just don't think it has any, like, any place there. Like, yeah, if you got one guy yelling, you know, bleep the, you know, bleep, bleep the Mormons, like, you can tell that guy to shut up. I was like, but at the same time, the damage is still done. He still right. said it. Um, and so it's one of those things where it's like, it's disrespectful. I don't think it needs to be there personally. Um, but I can't just chalk it up to kids just being kids. Yeah. And here's the other thing you, Matt raises a great point. Like, you know, the, the vast majority, like 99% of the Oregon fans at the stadium, probably there for the right reasons, acting the right way. And you do get a, I keep saying, a thin stripe of fans who don't do it the right way, and it's reflective. And I'll tell you, I've been around the country, and I've gone to the SEC footprint, and I've gone to the ACC footprint, and I've covered games in the Big Ten for, for years. And what I have encountered when I go to those stadiums is a lot of hospitality. And I do think it's rooted in, you know, that, you know, people in other parts of the country want 
you when you're visiting to view like they feel like they are reflective or they are ambassadors for their region. And so when you go to a game at LSU, the LSU fans are very welcoming. You go to a game at Ohio State, the fans are welcoming. And I'm not sure we get that in the western part of the United States. And I'm not sure in some places where there hasn't been a lot of success that people understand that. And and I think most people do. But I, it was a cheap thing to say, and it was an offensive thing to say. And frankly, we should be talking about the football game today, and we're not. Let's go to the phones. Roy's in Portland. Roy, welcome. Hey, what's up, John? Oh, man, I just want to say, man, like racial or religious discrimination has no place uh, in 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 anywhere. You know what I mean? That's just unfortunate that these. this is a teachable moment, man, that these students shouldn't have to learn about religious discrimination, man. And, I mean, that's, that, that's, that's wrong, man. I remember going to a Georgia game, man, against Notre Dame, and I was hearing some of the same thing about the Catholics, and I'm Catholic. And I wasn't, and I wasn't, and I wasn't, and I didn't like that. I mean, you just get a bunch of these ignorant fans, man, that just start, you know, talking out the side of their mouth, man. And there's no, it's no, it's no place for that, man. You can, you can talk crap about the other team without bringing race or religion in, or in, you know, in, in it. You know, I, I don't, I don't know what that, I, I don't know what they think they're doing by, you know, doing it. It's just showing your level of ignorance, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it just, you know, it just, uh, it, that, it should be a zero tolerance for that. Whoever was doing that need to be uh, not allowed to come back in the stadium again, ever. They should be, uh, you know, take get their season tickets taken away. They can investigate that. If it was a student or if it was uh, just somebody with season tickets, they should not be allowed to come back in uh, to attend the games anymore. Yeah, you know what I, I mean. That's 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 not right because you have you have BYU. How you think a BYU fan felt? You know that might have been you know uh, uh, that religion. You know how you think they felt by hearing it? They must have yeah. been horrified. Right. You know what I mean. The same thing if an African American was in there in the stadium and they were saying you know that about African or any or any uh, race or, uh, uh, or ethnicity. You know you can't, we, we can't have this man. It, that has to be. Rooted out, man. Appreciate know. appreciate that, Roy. There's Roy in Portland calling in. I agree there's no place for it. I'm 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 stuck on whether it should be a lifetime ban for a student who's doing that, or is it you're gone for the season, we'll consider bringing you back next year or allowing you back into the stadium next year, given that some of this is, like, let's try to educate and teach young people. They're in a place of higher learning that you can't uh you can't be a bigot right like and i just i'm torn on that because part of me wants to go they're gone zero tolerance never let them back the other part of me goes look educate them that's what you're supposed to do if you're the university of oregon and then guess what if you're oregon unfortunately what do you have to do for the next home game you got to put some security extra security up and down the student section and with the instructions that if you see people chanting things that are offensive you got to remove them it's really, it really makes me uncomfortable that this is what we have to talk about today. Marcus is in Eugene. Marcus, what's up, man? Hey, John. Um, over a decade-long season ticket holder here was at the game, um, and I, I have to say I didn't hear the chant either. It doesn't make it right, doesn't excuse it, none of that, as you've already said. 
Um, the one thing that I really have a problem with here, I, that, I shouldn't say that. There's a lot of things I have a problem with here, but one that really sticks out to me um, is, is I don't feel like this was appropriately handled by the governor of Utah. Um, I, I found a little bit of distaste in his tweet that said, I think it was something along the lines of bigotry is alive and well in Oregon. Um, I think it was an indictment of the whole state when you've got what you called a thin stripe of Oregon fans. I think after watching the video and hearing how loud that chant actually was, uh, I think a thin stripe is being generous. I think that you're talking 20 to 25 kids out of 54,000 people in the stadium. And once again, without making it right, I think that if we want these types of things to go away, we have to be the change that we want to see. Um, you know, little anecdote, went up to Washington for my first uh, Washington Huskies experience years ago, thought as a Duck fan that I was going to get booed out of the stadium and have stuff thrown at me. Uh, it was one of the best tailgate experiences I've ever had. Some Washington fans took us in, gave us ribs, drinks, hung out with them, talked football the whole time. On my way out, I got punched in the back of the head by a Washington Husky fan and knocked out cold. Um, that doesn't make the Washington Huskies a bad fan experience for me. That means that there was one person that tainted the whole thing. And I think that we as fans have to be that change. At my tailgate, everybody's invited. When I'm in the stands and I see something act, somebody acting like a jerk, doesn't matter what color of uh, uniform they're wearing, tell them to stop. And I think we need more accountability among the stands. Well put. I want your take as well. I have one line open, 417-7575 in the 503 area code. Uh, Kenneth is holding. Gordon is holding. John is holding. Steve is holding. You're all going to get to your calls. I want to hear what you have to say on this front. You got the bald-faced truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, we're talking about Oregon, Odson Stadium. What a glorious day it was Saturday. Great weather. Bo Nix was on fire. Dan Lanning had him running around. I, I told Dan Lanning after the game, I said, that was the most complete performance that I have seen Oregon put, put in since Ohio State last season in Week 2. Like, it was, a, it was a very complete performance, aside from maybe like two series in the second half. Oregon just kicked BYU's butt up and down the field, both sides of the ball. It was uh, a little surprising. Uh, it's what I wanted to talk about today, but I am stuck talking about the chants at Onsen Stadium. What should happen to the fans, the student section that was chanting, bleep the Mormons? Uh, and where is it? What, what has happened to our society? You tell me. 503-417-7575. Steve's in Lake Oswego. Steve, what do you got? John, how are you? I, um, well, first of all, there's no there's no call for any of that type of, of language or anything. I think the students should be thrown out permanently. Uh, it's absolutely unacceptable. Um, now, I will tell you that uh, being a UCLA fan, I've been there once in Austin, and uh, I heard many at UCLA uh, several times. Um, and, you know, uh, again, look, I get it. I'm a different color, uh, uh, a shirt, and, uh, you know, Give me a bad time. I get all that. But there is absolutely no reason for people to get uh, into a situation where they're calling out color, religion, or anything. Uh, I was also at the 
Beaver, I'm sorry, the uh, Ducks basketball game back when Kevin Love was playing for UCLA, and I heard yep. words from Oregon yeah. fans that made, made me blush, you know. And, you know, Oregon doesn't seem to be doing anything about it, though, because it, it, it keeps raising its ugly head in different situations. And, I, frankly, you know, I, I wouldn't go back to Austin Stadium as as a uh, person of, of the other team because um, if it wasn't for the fact that I was with a bunch of friends, you know, I would think that I was, you know, in trouble with getting out of that place. Um, and, uh, you know, I went to Nebraska game back in 88, John, uh, and they treated me like I was gold. I mean, they just, you know, were, and this when Nebraska was good, right? Not, not now, but when they were good. And they treated me like gold, and they, you know, good for UCLA. And when UCLA left the field, they applauded UCLA. I mean, it was classy all the way. Oregon fans, and again, it's just a few of them. I get it. But it's like, get rid of them. Get them out of there. They don't need to be there. They shouldn't be there. It's unacceptable behavior. And if I find out, or if the school finds out who it was, they should ban them for life. None of this, you know, one-year or two-year ban. Get them out. We don't need them. I appreciate the phone call. It certainly would send a message. Uh, I have heard from several Oregon fans who say, look, I've complained to the athletic department. Nobody even responded. And they talk about incidents that happened over the years. Um, I think it's really hard to police a stadium. Anytime you get forty to forty-five to 50,000 people in a stadium, it is very hard to police it. But some stadiums seem to do better than others. What do you make of it? What do you make of what happened? Let's go to Kenneth, who's in Portland. Kenneth wants to weigh in. Go ahead. Thanks for taking my call, John. Uh, like so many of your callers have stated, it is unacceptable. And I just want to say from experience, I'm a transplant from California. But I've been afforded a lot here in the state of Oregon. I've come to know Oregonians as being considerate, compassionate, and kind people. And it is only just a few that tend to make it look bad for all of us. But it shouldn't, it shouldn't like label all Oregonians as being that. The bigotry that we experienced on Saturday, that's unacceptable. And like you stated earlier, there should be security in the stands. And students that even try to start something like that it should be booted. Yeah. They'd be taken to student counseling and, and kicked out of the stadium for, for a lifetime or as long as they're going to school. Yeah. But it I, does tarnish the Oregon brand. Oh, it, it tarnishes the brand. It ruins the day. I mean, it's disappointing that this is what we have to talk about today. And, and again, I keep thinking about, like, how many people was it? You know, I, I, I had Anna look at it, and I said, how many people do you think that is? And I said, do you think it's 100 people? Is it 500 people? She goes, I don't even think it's that. But it's it, it just, to me... Look, I think it's part of a deeper trend. There's just a whole lot of intolerance, a lack of civility on social media. Um, I think if you got those individuals who were chanting that one by one and you looked into their hearts, you interviewed them, you talked to people who know them, you're probably going to find that alcohol was involved. You're probably going to find that whoever started the chant was going, well, I just thought it was like FBYU. Um, and it, it becomes a racial thing when you use Mormon. And I don't blame people who are offended by it. I think it is offensive. And the governor in Utah, I think, was, was uh, probably tired of two weeks spent with BYU being accused of being racist and thought, here's an opportunity to like say, look, it happens in a lot of places. Look at the fan behavior at Oregon. Uh, it's pretty embarrassing. And I think if you're an Oregon fan or an alumni or even a student at Oregon, you're probably disappointed today that, uh, you know, this happened at your, your football game. Um, John in Lake Oswego was at the game Saturday. Go ahead, John. 
Hi, John. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I've been a season ticket holder for years and years. I started going to the games in 75, and, you know, so I've been around Austin Stadium a lot. And uh, during the game, I heard a little bit of noise down from that part of the field. I sit the other side of, uh, of the stadium from there, on the, on the north side, the other end. And I had no clue what was going on. I didn't know there was uh, any, uh, anything objectionable going on. And I thought that the BYU team was exceptionally classy bringing that flag out with uh, Spencer Webb's number on it and all of that business. And, and they're a very classy organization to deal with. Um, I, I do some work with them in my business. But um, I think uh, over the years I've noticed the student section can get a little out of hand, but it is not limited to them. I've heard plenty of people who ought to know better say things that I wouldn't have said uh, and I'm no particular angel, but uh, it's not limited to the student section. And I'll, I'll guarantee you that whoever those kids were are catching it from every side because, you know, the, the students know who it was. You know, they were uh, videoed, and I'm sure those people are identified and all of that, and I'm sure they're going to wish that they had never done it. But it's not limited to them, and I believe – over, over the years, uh, the athletic department has had videos uh, at the beginning of the games uh, explaining this is how you should behave and that sort of thing. And I think that that's an effort that should be amplified upon to sort of set the standard for what's acceptable uh, at football and basketball games because people tend to forget, and you're right, civility in a lot of cases has gone flying out the window and it's worth it to remind people how you should behave. Uh, but I didn't hear anything offensive there like a lot of people didn't. And uh, uh, so I think it's pretty limited. And I think it, although it reflects poorly on Oregon fans, uh, most Oregon fans, I think, would be unfairly branded by this. And yeah. that's all I got to say. Yeah, I'm caught up on the unfair part because I wanted to do that too. And I did initially. And I said, okay, it's just a few people. Like, is it really fair to the rest of the stadium? And and by definition, it's probably not fair to the rest of the stadium. But the reality is that the story, the narrative nationally, is this is the fan base. And I will remind, like, you know, Blazer fans. Oregon State fans, Timber fans, Thorn fans, when you're at a stadium and you are uh, in a mob of people and you feel like maybe uh, you're anonymous in that you're not, okay, you're not, and you also are an ambassador for your city, your team, your fan base, whether you like it or not, that's part of the responsibility you have when you go into the stadium. Um, I'm really interested to see what Oregon's going to do about this. Daryl is in Myrtle Creek. Daryl, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking my call. You're talking about teaching these kids or these fans, you know, not to be that way. In my opinion, that starts at home, number one. Number two, I think when it's, when it's found out who they were, they should be banned for life, and maybe that will send a message to everyone else. Hey, if you're going to be a jerk, you're not going to be at the game. Yeah, That's, I... that's the bottom line. I don't know how you uh, enforce a ban in a football stadium. I'd be really curious to know, like, all right, what is your protocol for that, enforcing that kind of ban in the stadium? 
Gordon's in Vancouver. Gordon, what do you got? Hi there. Um, we were at the game uh, and up in the nosebleed sections this time, so we were not hearing that. We did have one guy that was overly drunk right next to us that was uh, obscene. But one of the things that I've seen more and more, I go to several games uh, over the years, is that the stadium keeps getting louder and louder. It's trying to amp up people more and more. I almost feel that part of the issue is they're trying to build the enthusiasm, and at some point, first, they, it used to be you could only drink three hours before the game. Now it's six hours before the game, and then you start hyping people up. That is going to bring this kind of stuff. I hate it when they started serving alcohol in the stands. Now, I like to drink, but if I have to leave to go down to the Bashofsky Center to have a drink, I'll be doing that. But I think those two things have caused a lot of the issues that we're seeing now. Yeah, I appreciate that. Look, I've been uh, I've I've been to games, uh, especially in my college years. I was at games with friends and we were drinking. Um uh, I never felt inclined to like slur someone or or chant something that was a fat, I don't know. I uh, you know, I don't want to dismiss this as alcohol only. What do you make of it? 503-417-7575. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. What do we do with the fans at Autzen Stadium who were chanted bleak the Mormons? Do you single them out if you're Oregon? Do you say it never happens again? Do you make a promise publicly that it never happens again? Do you ban them for life? Do you ban them for the season? Do you dismiss it as, well, it's just college students and, you know, wasn't that many of them? What do you do? What do you make of it? 503-417-7575. Let's go to the phone lines. Mike's in Portland. Go ahead, Mike. Hey, John. You know, a couple of weeks ago you were talking about how it's difficult to get people to go to, uh, to, go to ball games. This creates a toxic atmosphere, and that kind of leads to a little bit of that. But the more important thing is I think you have to ban them for life because it's really difficult to unteach racism and people just being a general jerk-ass. And, uh, and it may be more bark than bite, but I think you have to do a lifetime ban just to make a point visually and meaningfully. So. Yeah, I, I, I think if, if you think that's effective, I could be, I could be talked into a lifetime ban. I immediately went to, you're not welcome anymore, and uh, if you're Oregon, here's what I would do if I'm Rob Mullins. I would identify the students. I would say, you're not welcome at games. I would send a message to the student section, to the fan base in general, that this isn't tolerated. I would put numbers up on the board. If you see a fan who is misbehaving, text this number, give us your seat location, and then I would follow through with security that arrived promptly if somebody received a text. I've seen some stadiums do it well. I've seen some stadiums kind of pretend to do it. Uh, I don't want Oregon to be a pretender. If I'm Oregon State, I do the same damn thing. I put extra security around the student section. I warn students that uh, rowdy and uh, offensive behavior will not be tolerated. Enjoy the game. Root for your team. Uh, you know, yell, yell your head off if you want, but don't be an offensive idiot. I then take the students. Let's say you identify 25 students that were chanting. I take them, and I give them a diversion class. And then I meet with them in six months, and I interview them individually and see where they are. 
And then I say, if you want to get back into the stadium, here's your code of conduct, and here's where you have to sit. And I monitor them. Am I babysitting them, though? I'm even stopping myself going, as a parent, do I really want to be babysitting other parents, kids at the football stadium? I shouldn't have to do that. Nobody should. What's going on here? What's going on? Steven, what do you make of it? Yeah, I, I think that if they can figure out exactly like who was doing it, that it deserves a ban because there's no there's no reason for that because it makes it unfair to think that all Oregon Duck fans were thinking this way, right? And this happens politically and just everything. Like you get put in a box and then no one lets you out, and it's unfair that it happened to the BYU program uh, with the Duke incident. A couple of fans were saying these things, and then the whole. BYU fan base gets put in this box as, well, they're all racist. Well, no, they're not all racist. There are racist fans within them, just like there's probably racist fans within the Oregon Duck fan base. So it is unfair. And so I think it, for me, you got to try to single out the people that you know that was doing it and punish them because they're the ones that actually did it. And I'm with you. You know, put number, put a phone number up. If you hear this type of stuff, you got to text it. And you can't be a faker about it. You got to get security out there. You got to get these things nipped in the bud because – that stuff and that kind of talk is just unacceptable. And I'm I'm all for, you know, cheering and rooting against a rivalry and, you know, yelling about things on the field or on the court. But when you get personal and it's off the court, that's when there's a problem. And when you talk about religion, that is all personal. So for me, it's just that stuff is inexcusable and they do need to face some consequences and be punished. I like that. And I think, I, you know, I was at Fresno State, and I know Bulldog Stadium has had its issues over the years. But I was at Fresno State for that Oregon State-Fresno State game. It was really interesting to me, because I hadn't been there in 20 years, to see what Fresno State had done to try to curb some of the incidents that they had over the years. It was, it was not a friendly place for visiting fans to go. Uh, they had really made a commitment to the text, text your seat number if you see somebody who's misbehaving campaign. And the signage was loud and visible and i looked i noticed it and i went gosh i wonder if they follow through with it now i know i don't know if they do or not but because sometimes i've been at stadiums where i've heard from fans who say yeah i texted that i had a guy next to me who was being an idiot he was harassing other fans nobody ever came so if you're going to do that you got to follow through jared's in eugene jared are you a byu fan a lifelong byu fan um i was at the game i actually live here in town and i i gotta tell you honestly I didn't have. I had a much better experience there as a BYU fan than I have as when I've gone actually cheering for the Ducks and listening to other fans give other teams hard times. Um, it's a place that I don't generally take my kids because the language is pretty rough. You know, the atmosphere is not generally family friendly. But as a whole, this past Saturday, I had a really positive experience. Fans were great to us in our, our section. We didn't hear it. I think the governor of uh, Utah was a little grandstanding a little bit. I think he's making a, a lot of, of something that's probably not as big of a deal. I think a lot of people were probably, I mean, is it offensive? Yes. It's not like the end of the world, though. Um, I would not be in a favor of doing a, a lifetime ban. I, I think, you know, you know, heck, we're a religious faith, you know, institution. You know, we actually believe in, you know, second chances, repentance. I, I think lifelong ban might be a little harsh. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, you said something in there. I'm going to, he said something in there that was interesting to me. You know, he said he doesn't bring his kids to the stadium and that made my heart drop because you should be able to bring your kids without having to think about it to the stadium. That, that got me. Maurice is in Portland. Maurice, welcome to the show. Hey John. Uh, I don't know what they can do to, uh, to handle that problem. It's clearly an issue and it's all across the board. 
Um, I think you touched on it a little bit earlier. I think it's more like a society type of issue where, where like a lot of the fans have gotten to the point where they're just being, you know, obnoxious and trashy and they think it's cute and cool, you know, and, and everybody wants to go viral for something ridiculous. Like you got fans, you got LeBron and, and other NBA stars pointing out fans, getting them removed because they're being ridiculous. Uh, it had, if you go to a football game to see your team play the Raiders, you better believe you're going to see the Raiders fans in the stands fighting and getting arrested. Uh, you go to Boston and, you know, the fans, you know, some fans are going to say racist stuff. Uh, even at, chi- at children's football and basketball games, you got parents and fans out there fighting, fighting with each other, fighting the refs, fighting the coaches. Uh, what is his name for the Broncos? Uh, Talib, his brother, ended up actually shooting and killing another coach not too long ago. And it's uh, it's uh, the fans and the antics and, and everything is getting to a point to where I don't know if anything can really be done about it because for every yeah. fan that you do remove, and, and that one fan that you take care of, there's going to be four or five more that's going to turn it up a notch and do even more than that one that got kicked out. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I do think there's a societal issue here. I've noticed it in my job. I've noticed the shift in tone with emails I get in the comment section. And i got to be honest, it's part of why, you know, uh, I went rogue on my own and went to johnconzano.com was, like, I wanted – to write for people who are interested in getting in-depth sourced reporting and commentary and interested in having an intelligent conversation and uh, some back and forth. And I, I feel like I've gotten away from the masses a little bit. They were unregulated and just running wild. And, and I have found people that are interested in having those conversations. But I've noticed it in stadiums. I've noticed it in politics. I've noticed it in business. We've all seen sort of the discourse get nasty and the tolerance of that is what alarms me. We should not be tolerant of that. It should bother us all. All right, we got more ahead in hour number two. We're going to start by talking about Herm Edwards. We're going to Arizona next. We'll revisit this topic. We'll talk about Bo next. We'll talk about the lack of respect for Oregon State and Washington State. All of that in hour number two. I want you to leave it locked in right here. You got the BFT. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Well, over the years, we've talked to Herm Edwards on the show. I've enjoyed my chats with him. Outspoken, interesting, never boring. Herm Edwards, never boring. You know? Remember, uh, once upon a time, he, uh, he agreed to play a 9 a.m. kickoff. Against USC, remember that? Well, I think obviously it promotes our conference uh, nationally, and uh, we're always looking for that uh, to get more eyeballs uh, on our conference and, and the way we play. It's a unique conference in the fact that um, it's very, very competitive. It, um... And then I, I asked him uh, the lesson he got from his parents. Remember what Herm Edwards said about that? What do you still carry with you that you got from mom and dad that you that maybe crosses your mind? Well that um, the most powerful possession that your parents give you is a good last name. And um, those were my walking orders. And with that being said, they told me don't screw it up. (laughs) And they were right. Herm Edwards, 
let go by Arizona State. Did they mutually part ways? Was he fired? Doug Holler covers the entire state of Arizona for the athletic. He's been all over Arizona State for years. He uh, has been on that beat and knows the program. He joins us now. Uh, were you surprised, Doug, that they did it midseason? Hi, John. I was surprised, um, mainly because, you know, with the way the NCAA investigation has gone, as investigators have turned up, you know, talked to uh, interviewed people as evidence has come forward, they've made changes. Um, you know, they've five assistant coaches have left the program since, since this thing started. So everyone assumed that at the end of last season, that would be it for her. Um, instead, Ray Anderson and Michael Crow, the school president, um, offered support for her. So everyone was thinking, you know, going into this season that Herm would coach this season and then he would resign. Um, you know, he's 68 years old, but that would be it for him. And, you know, that was people inside the program, people, you know, everyone thought that was the plan. So even after the loss, and it was a bad one, um, looking around the stadium Saturday night, it, you know, it was a late game, half empty, <laughs> no energy whatsoever. The feeling still was, you know, I think that they, this is going to, you know, it might get rough, but they were going to see it through till the end of the year. So the timing of it definitely was a surprise. What happened? What do you think changed with the calculus there? Well, you know how these things work. All it, all it takes for the right donor to whisper in somebody's ear saying, uh, hey, if I'm, I'm not going to write my next check until a change is made. Um, I have not heard that. But, you know, Ray Anderson explained that it was not that he didn't, re, that he didn't resign, that he was not fired with a mutual understanding. You could read between the lines on that um, as much as you want. Now, I, know, I do know there's a video out there of, of, of Michael Crow and Ray Anderson meeting Herm as he walks off the field, and people are kind of looking at that and assuming that, you know, that's when they said, that's when they made the decision. Michael Crow and Ray Anderson wait for Herm. That scene unfolds after every home game. I mean, they, they yeah. do it with, with that video. I don't know if you've seen the video, but that happens after yeah. every single home game, that exact walk off the field. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think that, Michael Crow may have looked around and said, you know what, we can't, it's week three in the season. You know, the fan base is already, um, you know, <laughs> they're already checked out. We, we can't go through nine weeks like this. we got to do something to start over. I, w I would say that's the likely scenario. However, uh, you know, as of, um, you know, within the last three weeks, I did talk to Michael Crow and I asked him about the NCAA investigation, and it was ongoing. And my understanding, John, at that time is that not all key individuals within the investigation had been interviewed. So it, it is possible. I'm not reporting this. I don't know this. But it is possible that um, some additional information came forward that tied or that, you know, that tied Herm more to the violations, and they made a change based on that uh, as well. Yeah, my read on that video was the same as what you're saying in that I thought it was awkward. It The, the body language wasn't great. It looked like you know they were all kind of done with each other at that point, but uh, you know I don't I don't think they're going to tell him like Ray Anderson's his buddy. They're not going to be he's not going to be like you're fired in the end zone here. Um, sounded more like it was hey we need to talk to you tomorrow, and a pat on the back. And you know I think Herm probably knew. Do you think Herm probably knew? I went back and watched his press. I was in there for his press conference after the game. I went back and watched it two or three times 
you know, you're looking for anything. You know, it, you know, he was down, obviously. But to be honest, John, he's been down for a, a while. He did. You, you mentioned going into this segment about when you talk to Herm, he's, he's a great interview. I mean, anybody who remembers him from his time at ESPN, he, he, was, he was a sports celebrity. You know, he was great. Uh, he is made for that. He knows exactly how it works. Um, he lights up whether he's on camera or on the radio. He did an interview, local radio, previewing the home opener, and it was unlike anything I've heard from him. He was, you know, he couldn't remember. They asked him, uh, the radio host asked him about the receivers. He couldn't remember. Some, he just referred to players by their last name, which is a little bit weird because he knows how it is on the radio. You've got to get first and last name. Yep. Um, he mentioned, you know, he, he was trying to recall the running back from last year, Rashad White, who was the round draft pick. He couldn't come up with his name. You know, and I thought, well, maybe it just caught him at a bad time. He seemed distracted. Uh, you know, and I, I, I texted some people and said, did you hear from on the radio? Did, I mean, did, is it just me or did it sound really kind of detached? And, you know, I wasn't alone in that, in that thought. So, you know, it's been there, – there's no doubt the investigation has weighed on him, no doubt whatsoever. Um, but definitely within the last three weeks that you publicly, from what I've seen of him, I've noticed the change. He's, he's just seemed a little unlike himself. Doug Holler is our guest, uh, covers Arizona State and the state of Arizona uh, for The Athletic. Um, Doug, I, I call Arizona State a sleeping giant. Everybody has for like two decades. Do we have it wrong? Is, is there something that's not quite in alignment at Arizona State that's holding it back that needs to be changed? Or is it just been a series of unfortunate hires and – you know, sandwiched in between, you know, Dennis Erickson and Todd Graham, you know, winning 10 games in a season. Yeah, when people hear a sleeping giant around here, they just kind of roll their eyes just for the reason that you mentioned. But it, it's been out there for so long. Um, does it have potential? Yeah, it has potential to, you know, every four or five years to, you know, put together that 10-win season, you know, to, to make a run for the co- conference championship. But nothing in their history, certainly within the Pac-12, suggests that they're, you know, what Ray Anderson uh, threw out when he hired Herm Edwards, top 15 in the country, perennial Pac-12 contender. They've never done that. Um, okay, so why not? I mean, you, the facilities, they're, they're good. They, they compare favorably to some of the top programs in the Pac-12. Um, fan support, not the best. Uh, playing in the desert is a huge hurdle because of the game day atmosphere. Um, you know, it, you know, in the first month of the season, Arizona State, no matter, they can't have an afternoon kickoff, so they have to kick off it, you know, late. Um, you know, the stadium's rarely full, and it's usually 100 degrees at kickoff, and people don't want to come and sit through, you know, 100 degree three hours in, in that kind of heat. Um, so there are hurdles. The administrative support, I mean, this isn't criticism, it's fact. Michael Crow's been very outspoken about it. Uh, he has said that, you know, we're not going to get involved in the high-salary games that, you know, the SEC does. We're not going to pay crazy salaries. Um, so Arizona State loses, you know, their good assistance often to, to SEC schools. Um, that was a problem. That was probably the biggest problem when Todd Graham was here. He just couldn't keep his coordinators. Uh, because Auburn would come along and pay you know, double their salary, and that, there was nothing he could do. Uh, Herm Edwards went through that a little bit. So, you know, they kind of they don't have that commitment to really take that next level. So where they are is, you know, they're kind of that, you know, program. Um, kind of like, I know someone brought up to me not too long ago, like they need to just be Wisconsin. You know, Wisconsin's not going to beat 
Michigan and Ohio State every year. Sometimes they will, but you know, every so often. But they're not going to do it every year. They just they're just the best Wisconsin they can be. That's what Arizona State needs to be. Arizona State just needs the best, be the best Arizona State it can be, and see where that leads them. It's interesting to kind of watch as something like this happens, and then the coaching carousel. Uh, you know, fires, but, you know, this season Arizona State will now turn to uh, Sean Aguano as the interim head coach. Linfield guy, a lot of people in the state of Oregon uh, are, are excited about seeing him there, but what what does he need to do this season? What is it? Is he just a placeholder, or is there a shot at ASU rallies a little under him and he gets a shot? Well, there's multiple, <laughs> there's multiple uh levels to that question the first thing you have to wonder who, who's making the hire um you know is it, is it ray anderson ray anderson was asked that twice yesterday once very specifically are you going to lead the coaching search and he said he would be involved but he, he kind of dodged whether or not he would lead the search if, if, if ray anderson's leading the search i don't think sean guano has a very good chance because you know just given ray's back nfl background bringing in uh, herm edwards i think home He'll shoot for somebody um, maybe with a little bit more name recognition. He did say he wanted that maybe the way to go this time, is, and it's the complete opposite of what he did with Herm, is someone younger, someone innovative, someone that's a good handle, who's well-versed in the NIL and changing landscape of college football. Uh, if they don't, if Herm, or I'm sorry, if Ray is not involved, and a lot of people don't think he should be, um, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, you know, I, they've tried everything. I mean, they've they've tried the the NFL coaches with Herm and, and Dennis Erickson, and you know, they've tried former or the up and comer like uh, Dirk Cutter. So, it, you know, I think probably is the best bet is to hire. And I know I'm getting off track a little bit. Is to kind of go with somebody who can grow with the program because with the unknown of the NCAA investigation, which is ongoing, you know, I don't know what kind of candidate they're going to attract in the first place. But if you can get the right young guy who can grow and everybody can be patient, maybe it works out. We're talking to Doug Holler of the Athletic covers Arizona State. Uh, you you mentioned Ray Anderson, and you know he's being dodgy on the subject. I kind of wondered if this would cost him his job, if if or if he would get sucked into the investigation, given that Herm Edwards was his guy. Do you think Ray Anderson may be in trouble here? Yeah, um, probably not, uh, and that's not a popular opinion here in Arizona. Um, you know, it, it, it was a risky move to start hiring your buddy, um, someone who hasn't coached in nearly 10 years, uh, <laughs> someone who's, you know, in his in his 60s. You know, it had a high risk of of blowing up, and that's what happened. Um, Ray is very well respected, though, uh, within the Pac-12, um, as you know, uh, at the high levels of the Pac-12. Michael Crow thinks very highly of him, and Michael Crow uh, in the past has been incredibly loyal to his department heads. Um, so from every – I mean, as of, you know, just over the last year, we're well over – we're well over a year into this. But for most of the first six to eight months reporting, I, I never talked to anybody who thought Ray was in trouble. They, they thought Ray would, would be okay. Um, things change, so I, I don't know, and there could be – a point in time where Michael Crocus says, you know what, we might we need to clean house and start all over a bit. I, I don't I don't think Ray's in, Ray will lose his job anytime soon. Doug, I appreciate the work you do, the insight you bring. Uh you know, I uh, I don't envy the coaching search that's in front of you, but I know you'll <laughs> I know you'll crush it. Um 
it, it is the fan base clamoring for a splashy hire. Um, you know, we kind of know where Arizona State's head might be, but Urban Meyer, that kind of splash, uh, or do you roll your eyes at that? I do roll my eyes at that. I can't see uh, Michael Crow hiring someone like Urban Meyer. Uh, it's too much of a football hire for, for Urban Meyer. It, it, would, it would be all about football, and that's just not the way he thinks. Um, yeah, it, I, I just don't I don't think that will happen. I, I, I mean, obviously that popped up on my Twitter feed several times. I know people are, are pitching for, or hoping for that. But, you know, I, I think the fan base at this point, John, is just happy that the Herm Edwards chapter is over with because you know they got when they decide to bring him back you know people are like man that's another year that's just going to extend this whole you know craziness uh with the investigation the recruiting has has pretty much stalled so arizona state's in a position where you know their only chance every offseason is the train is the transfer portal and i know other programs are in similar situations but you know, right now they're using, you know, guys, you know, junior college receivers. They're, they've got a, a guy at left tackle, playing at left tackle, who was, you know, Division two. which some of those guys, you, you find, you can find some diamonds in the rough and plug them in those holes, and they, they'll do really well, and you're fine. But if you're plugging too many holes, you have problems, and that's kind of where they are right now. Um, you know, one injury, and they're really going to have trouble, um, you know, for the rest of the year. So I think the fan base right now is just happy that, you know, the, the reset button has been pushed. There may be hard times ahead, but at least, you know, it, the cycle has started to turn. They're, you know, looking for a new coach, and there's the, there's the hope and promise of better days ahead. Doug Holler of The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter. Doug, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you having me, John. Good stuff from Arizona State. Stephen, what should they do? Herm Edwards is out. Do they go uh, – do they do what Oregon did? Do they go after a – uh, an energetic young guy who's coming from an SEC program or something like that, or do they do they go after a retread, or do they try to reach back into their history, or do they go big and splashy? I think they need to go the young route, and the reason why I think that is is I feel like they've tried to put a Band-Aid over the problems every single year. It just doesn't work out, and this last Herm Edwards experiment didn't work out. So you got to try something new, and you got to kind of shoot for the stars. Like you say it's a sleeping giant. I don't necessarily agree with that. I kind of agree um, with what he was saying, how you know at the start of the year they can't get people out because it's just so hot there. Like it's just it's there are some difficulties for Arizona State to be really good. So I think they need to try to shoot for someone with a lot of energy, a lot of uh, a lot of passion that they can have that hopefully build that team back up. I mean, you even look at a team like Arizona. You know, Jed Fish has brought in a lot of energy to that program. He's really worked the transfer portal. I think that's exactly what they need at Arizona State. It's just a new start, a new identity, basically. New start, fresh start. Uh, Anna's popping into the studio. I want more of your phone calls. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. You got the BFT. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, Anna, I said it off the top of the show today. I wanted to talk about Bo Nix and the Ducks and Oregon State's uh, big win downtown Portland. Uh, people who were there said it was great atmosphere and talk about the Pac-12, Washington State, Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, a collective 11-1. and But I couldn't start the show that way because we needed to deal with this BYU chant at Autzen Stadium. 
bunch of people still holding want to talk about it. Why do you think this is such a hot button issue? Um, because there's more than one way to look at it. Um, you know, there's part of me that doesn't want to talk about it because I don't want to give attention to it. But it feels like it's almost like we have to at least mention it because it's getting picked up nationally. So it be sort of ignorant for for us not to talk about it. I don't know. I think the whole thing is definitely amplified because of social media. Because it's the kind of thing where prior to somebody pulling out their phone and taking video of it, it would just not have captured this much attention, right? Am I wrong about that? I don't know. I don't know. I think on one hand, you got um, you got fans being fans. People do idiotic things when yeah. they get when they drink and they get in the stadium. Yeah. But if you are an Oregon fan who is kind of looking at this from 20,000 feet, there's got to be part of you that's disappointed that this story becomes the national story after such a complete butt-kicking on the field. Absolutely. This is not what we want to be talking about. And a lot of people will blame the media because, you know, the media is easy to blame and say, well, it's the media's fault that, you know, people are writing about it and uh, it, it, it wouldn't be such a big deal if the media didn't make a big deal of it. I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. Yeah, it's tough. I think it's tough uh, from a fan standpoint. I know that I would rather not be talking about it. I'd rather be talking about the game. Do you think the Utah governor, by fanning the flames, was trying to point out to people that, you know, hey, they just went through this thing themselves <laughs> where BYU got accused of being racist right. in the state of Utah? Yeah. Do you think that's what was rooted in there or what was rooted? What was uh, in there? I think that context is important. I think it's worth mentioning because I think when something like this happens, you have to look at you know, people's responses and in any other situation with would the governor of Utah really be chiming in that way? Or is the governor just trying to appeal to constituents? Mm. I don't know. I think what happened with BYU in recent months definitely plays a role. In Let's that take statement. some phone calls. Let's go to uh, Bruce, who's in Stevenson, Washington. Bruce, what's on your mind? Oh, man. Hey, I have a few things. One that cracks me up is that the governor of Utah is also in the same state as the Utah Jazz, and they have definitely been church children for the last few years, right? And they've had their fair share of challenges with fans, yeah. you know? Um, and secondly, I wanted to talk a tiny bit. I mean, I am lucky enough to know Jerry Goff, who played with Cal, and was there when his grandmother got doused with beer from an Oregon fan. That doesn't mean all Oregon fans are bad, but that was not the way I would have felt you would have appreciated, uh, you know, a kid who's contesting against you. Yeah, I, I think, look, there are bad acting people in every fan base, but uh, we can't sit here and not address this when it becomes a national story. And, you know, nobody should be dumping beer on anybody's mom. Nobody should be chanting, bleep the Mormons. Uh, you know, Scoreboard Live had a story today about an Oregon recruit who was at the game from South Salem High School whose parents heard the chants and decided to leave the stadium. They took their kid and went home. Whoops. So, uh, you know, there's tentacles to this thing that, are important to address. Jay's in Beaverton. Jay, go ahead. Hey, thanks for the call. 
Um, I think one precept that all ethical people agree on is that people should not be mocked or persecuted for things outside of their control. This is why we think racism and sexism are so bad. But, you know, our beliefs and our values are not that way. As we grow up, we start to have more control over what we actually believe. And so I want to suggest that the comparisons to racism, I think, are a little bit problematic. And so this is where you have to talk about that kind of uncomfortable conversation, which is that the Church of Latter-day Saints has a history of putting some ideas out into the world that those people who support civil and human rights might really be troubled by. You know, it was it's a part of doctrine that dark skin is a curse from God. It's a belief that indigenous people here were actually an evil form of Jews, and that's why they deserve to be wiped out. This explains why like, it wasn't until 1978 that, that the Mormon Church let in African Americans, and we know that the Mormon Church is guilty of many massacres of, of Indian people over time. So I guess I just want to say, the chant they did was totally inappropriate, they shouldn't have done it, but I think we need to make some distinctions about what we're born into versus what we choose to believe. And one might say that perhaps the chanting was more about things like standing up for marriage equality than it was about simple bigotry. I know yeah. different people will disagree, but it's worth yeah. it. Yeah, I get where you're going. I get I get the tenor of it. I think you had it right, though, when you said, hey, there's no place for it. Like, there's no place for it, and that other stuff could be a conversation that's held in a classroom or – it's conversation that people have when they go, hey, do you feel like we should be joining the Mormon church? Well, no. They, this is their history. I'm not comfortable with it. Okay. I'm not going to be a part of it. All this other stuff came up, though, as part of the Duke-BYU discussion in the last couple of weeks. I saw it in news stories. I saw it quoted. I saw people justify it, saying, look, it's okay to, to uh, classify uh, the people of Utah as racist because look at the history of the church. You know, I, Here's what I want to do. I want to say what we're in control of here in this state is how we act when we're at a stadium. It wasn't right. So how do we fix it? Oregon's got to address it, and it's got to be done with more than just talk. What, Anna? You got your arms folded. You're making a face now. Well, I mean, if you want to make the argument that, you know, the Mormon church is racist in its history and try to extend that into its, you know, modern-day situation – you would just say that America altogether is racist because if you want to judge an entity, an organization based on its history, then you would just say all of America is racist. But I think we can make the distinction that we are a country that is evolving. We have that as part of our history, the uglier parts of our history, and that we are doing what we can as a country to you know, rise above that and learn from it. Let's go to Vancouver. Dave is in Vancouver. Welcome. Yeah, so um, last year in a Clark County high school, uh, this actually happened. And it was, a, I believe it was a girls' basketball game. I won't say the school. It was a big story, front-page Columbian. And there was racial slurs at the game. And I believe it was an inner-city Portland school. And nothing really got happened until after the game was over. They should have, you know, how many people are at a girls' basketball game? 100 people, 200 people? Uh, they should have stopped the game. I guess the girls were complaining to their coach mm -hmm. that this was happening. And th they should have called a timeout and found out who was saying what and removed them right then. But then there was an investigation. They found nothing and just kind of swept it under the rug. But then it happened again in another sport, same high school in another sport later in the year. And again, that story just kind of disappeared. Yeah, I think we gotta do a better job of dealing with things 
and I want to start with what we can control. Yeah, if that's your school, there should have been a thorough investigation. Like the adults in the room need to take charge. But now I'm looking at the adults in the room at Oregon and I'm going, okay, what do you do? Do you start identifying the students in the video? Yeah, you could do that. Do you, do you ban them for this season? Do you ban them for life? Do you give them a code of conduct? What do you do? Anna, do you support a lifetime ban for the oh, students? Oh, gosh, that's a lot, is it yeah. not? Isn't that, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to go back and look at the things that I did when I was like 19 or 20 years old that thankfully weren't on camera. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's got to be a little room there for some reconciliation True. or the opportunity for a kid of that age to make good you know if it is if they are identified as the person behind this I want more phone calls 503-417-7575 back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 the game The Pacific Northwest teams are a combined 11-1 and this college football season. Outside of the uh, Georgia Bulldogs, the Ducks, the Beavers, the Huskies, the Cougars, all undefeated except for Georgia. Um, it, and it's not just the fact that they've won 11 games and only lost one. It's the way they're doing it. The quarterback play looks great. Michael Penix Jr. at Washington looks fantastic. Washington State's front seven looks fantastic. Beat Wisconsin, uh, beat Colorado State, bad. They look good. Uh, Oregon State put 68 points on Montana State and uh, has knocked off Boise State and Fresno State. Uh, Oregon State, 3-0 and for the first time since 2014. And the Ducks under Dan Lanning, great performance on Saturday against BYU, beat a ranked team. And uh, that combined with Washington's win over Michigan State, uh, Pac-12 knocking off two ranked teams. Uh, Pac-12's got a couple wins this season over the Big Ten. It's a pretty good start to the season for the Pac-12 Conference. Aside from the Week 1 face plant against the SEC, Pac-12 doing well. I'd like to see the AP voters recognize Washington State and Oregon State more. I think there's some brand issues there. I think the Pac-12's dragging them down. But uh, by and large, I think it has been successful. Like if you're George Klyovkov, you're feeling pretty good about the start of this season. Now you want to see it through. You need to get a playoff team. But that's where the Pac-12 is. We're talking a lot today about the fan chant at Autzen Stadium on Saturday. So the student section, some fans in the student section started chanting, bleep the Mormons. And uh, it got captured on video. The governor in Utah fanning the flames a little bit. Grandstanding maybe. But uh, people certainly upset by this and want to talk about it. Let's go to the phone lines. Let's go to Sean, who's in Sandy. Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, John. You know that USC Trojans' uh, student section chanted the same thing at the same school last year. And this is probably just a copycat chant, and it's just a bad look. Um, it's not cool. It's not fun. It's not funny, students. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, everyone probably, you know, there's a lot of Mormons on the team. We probably got Mormons on our team. Um, probably a lot of people out there, we all know a Mormon. Uh, it's just a bad look. You know what I mean? There, there, there's nothing wrong. Nobody should go after any group or anything like that. It's not funny or anything. Hopefully we don't have to see this from another school next year. Yeah, appreciate the context on that. Um, yeah, I think Oregon's embarrassed by it. They've certainly apologized for it. But raises, I think, issues about 
fan civility, civility in general, behavior at the stadium, what merits an ejection, what doesn't. Um, I do think there are some fans who walk around like a badge of honor if they get ejected from a game, like, oh, I played a role, like, oh, they couldn't ignore me. Like, I don't understand that mentality. I don't. And look, I was in the stadium. I didn't hear the chant. And I don't think a lot of people in the stadium heard it. Dennis is in Canby. Dennis, welcome. Hi, John. It's been a while. Good, good to talk to you. Um, I was at the stadium, but I was I was on the farthest point away. I was in the opposite other corner of the end zone. And unfortunately, the BYU fans, all they had to do all day was listen. And so it's really unfortunately that they, if they would have been yelling like we were for scoring touchdowns and all that stuff, they wouldn't have heard it either. But I... You know, it, it, this goes back to allowing liquor to be served, and the 21- and 22-year-olds give it to 18- and 19-year-olds in the student section. They can bring it down and, and drink it in the student section. And so they've drinking before the game. If this would have been a 7.30 game, they would have been so plowed they wouldn't even have showed up to the game. But it's really unfortunate that something like that, and we're talking maybe 30 people, 40 people, and it's one of those – heat of the moment one person started a two person and and the gal i think one of the gals from the oregon uh, team the mom she warned of this and i'm like there's no way she can control that even on social media saying please don't do swear words with the byu in attendance well that there's no way you can control that unless you have security guards lining the student section saying if we hear this, you're going to be removed, and you're yeah. not going to be able to buy a ticket again, and, and it, there's consequences for getting kicked out of school. I mean, 18 to 22 is not that much different than the 14 to 17 saying these same things at high school yeah. when you get liquor involved. People just re- act really immature and say stuff that they might not even remember. But now that everybody has a TV camera taking video of it, taking pictures of it, you can't get away with stuff like that. Yeah, I appreciate the call, Dennis and Canby. Um, I, you know, it's why I said early that I felt like a band for the rest of this season, with the athletic department sort of taking a uh, active role in saying, "Look, uh, we're going to ban you. You're not allowed back into any. How about any sporting event for the year? And then we evaluate you at the end of the year. And if you come back and you know we meet with you in a room and there's the 25 or 30 kids and you know we hear the right things." You'll be allowed to come to games next season. But what do you do? Like, what do you do if you're in the stadium and some fans start chanting that stuff and you're a fan there? Like, should that be on stadium security? Should it be on the usher? Like, how do you police that? That's a tough one because you know how it is when there's, you know, especially if there's a group of people chanting, it takes a special person to stand up to that group, right? Especially if there's alcohol involved. To be like, hey, guys, come on. That's not who we want to be. That's not who we want to be known for. Like, I'd love to think in a situation like that that I would be brave enough. But, you know, you know how that dynamic is. It can be kind of intimidating. You know what they do? You get Don Essig, the voice of Autzen Stadium, and you say to Don, listen, uh, forget your public address thing. Like, any time. Okay, fans. Here. Stop chanting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like instead of okay, fans. Here's the weather report for today's game. It's 70 degrees, slight wind from the north, and some clouds. But you know the real weather report. It never rains at Oxen Stadium. Like you let Don Essig tell everybody to settle down. All those people are going to settle down. You think but- they would? I think he's the biggest grown-up in the stadium. You know the the... forecast. Don't say (laughs) F the Mormons. 
Jeez. All right, here's a list of things we don't want you to say today. <laughs> Why are you cheering? <laughs> well, they make the announcement in the press box. Why can't they do it in the stadium, like in the press box, over and over during a game? You hear the announcement, There, this is a working press box. There will be no cheering and no applauding yeah. during the game. Why do they have, why would they have to say that, though? Like Apparently they you know? do, because yeah. that's uh, that's an issue, huh? Yeah, I guess. You Kev- tell me. Kevin's in Sandy. Kevin, what do you got? Um. Yeah, uh, you know, I think that people, like, associate, like, the Mormon church and, you know, I'm not forced saying F the Mormons whatsoever. I think that people think of, like, things that the Mormon church has done that's bad, so they think that it's okay to to do that. Um, But I I think that, like, maybe one thing that Oregon could do is, you know, I don't know, have the athletic director make an announcement for the game or on TV and just let us know, like, we're better than that. Yeah. Um, Or, you know, we're we're just better than that. And, like, regardless, like, you know, I, I don't think it's a big enough deal to ban anyone, but I think that, like, it's not what Oregon football is about. Like, we're about winning football games. We're about having a good time. It's, you know, I, we've all been to plenty of games. People get drunk. They get rowdy. Things happen. I think the governor needs to kind of let it go. I think, obviously, over the coverage of this, we're, we're pretty embarrassed about it. But I don't think you ban fans over this one. I, I, you know, it's a bad look. But anyway. I appreciate that. I, I appreciate that. And I, I think he's right in that the vast majority of fans are going, look, here's what we're about. It's not just the fans, though. That That's the problem. It's like somebody who grew up here in Oregon. Like, it's embarrassing to me that the governor of, of Utah is saying religious bigotry alive and celebrated in Oregon. Like, basically calling everyone in Oregon religious bigots. And so, like, as, as a citizen of this state, as somebody who grew up here, like, I'm embarrassed that somebody else is saying that about all of us. Yeah. And that's, that's for me personally, that's the unfortunate part of all of this, is that it comes down to like a thin stripe of people who are at that game chanting this, and yet somehow we all wind up looking bad because of it. Yeah, and I think BYU, the, the state of Utah probably feels the same way about all that BYU-Duke volleyball stuff. Like, they took their turn in the last couple of weeks. And I just can't help but wonder how that played into this. Mm-hmm. Like, because nobody wants their state to be known as racist. You know, like nobody <laughs> or wants religious that. Bigots or religious bigots. Yeah, nobody case. wants that. And, right. and I feel like, you know, there are racist people in our state. Sure there are. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and, and in Utah, of course there are. But, I feel like that has became the story of Saturday's game, and that's the thing that's really disappointing to me because I was like, "Oh, what a great game!" Yeah, they we should so just be well. sitting here talking about Bo Nix and how great he looked out there, you know. And instead, we're talking about how many fans. Yeah, I how- wanted to talk about the game because I I predicted that our Ducks were going to win by a lot, so yeah. I'm completely right. Stephen needs a redeemer conversation. Like he needs some validation. Stephen and I were texting (laughs) Saturday during the Cal Notre Dame game. Yeah, because I had predicted Cal would beat Notre Dame. Uh I crawled out on that limb. But then you know we had talked about you know Cal was getting like twelve and a half. How many points was Cal getting? Uh, well we we talked and I got him at thirteen and a half, but it was mostly twelve and a half. So Stephen bets on Cal. And he gets 12 and a half, 13 points, whatever. But Cal, Cal was trailing by seven late. 
and they had a chance to drive down and either tie the game or or whatnot. And I know what Steven was thinking. What were you thinking on Cal's last drive? <laughs> I was expecting to pick six or something <laughs> something of that nature. Some bad. way to lose the bet, right? Yeah. Bad beat. And there's this play where the Cal quarterback goes down and he kind of tries to underhand the ball, but and then Notre Dame picks it up and runs for a touchdown. And it would have been a bad beat for Steven, but the quarterback's knee was down. So Cal got another play, and they got a chance to throw it to the end zone. And I showed you the video uh-huh. of that. That guy damn near caught the ball. It was a Hail Mary. But, Stephen, you had to be going nuts during that game. Yeah, I think uh, I think I just texted you when, when the Notre Dame got that touchdown and they got called back. I just said, LOL. Like, I didn't, there's nothing else to say about it. It's like, yes. oh, cool, like, that's how I'm going to lose. But, I mean, what an emotional emotional ride that final drive was in that, in that game for both of us. You thought yes. Cal was going to win straight up. I just needed the points, and I thought we were both going to lose badly. Yeah. Cal. Dwayne is in Salem. Dwayne, welcome to the conversation. Hey, thanks, John. Um, I want to just talk about this a little bit. Uh, first off, I'm not a Mormon, and I just don't think it's right based on religion to even say anything like that, number one. Number two, it, it could have been just a slim, thin slice of everybody, of people there, but still, somebody they need, they need to be held accountable. And we're talking about the, the Duke-BYU uh, situation, that's been very well documented and investigated. That none of that ever happened. They have video. They have witnesses. Um, that actually didn't take place. And what happened is the result of that. Don Staley, the head coach of the University yeah. of South Carolina women's basketball team, she canceled their games against uh, BYU because of that. Yeah. And now we find out it never really happened. Yeah. So well, they're what, saying what, they're, what, what, Duke still Duke insists that it happened. BYU says their investigation did not find evidence. The WCC, the conference itself, says that their investigation did not find evidence. Um, I want to believe the player, that the player's not making that up, that she actually heard that from the student section or whatnot. But my whole point with that was, it, regardless of what came out of the investigation, the state of Utah took a beatdown in the last two, three weeks over that incident. And... I saw it over and over, and even Don Staley canceling the games. I just saw it over and over, like, you know, there goes Utah. That's Utah. That's Utah. And so I get what the governor in the state of Utah is doing. He's like, hey, wait a minute. (laughs) You know, we're the victim. And I think what makes this whole situation worse for me is that BYU came out honoring Spencer Webb. Like, carrying an Oregon flag, obviously honoring the memory of Spencer Webb. and Classy. And that was classy. So it makes this whole thing that has erupted from the game, to me, even worse. You know who we haven't heard from? Sean. He's the Oregon fan. Yeah. He was. He may have been in the student section for all we know. Sean. Was Sean? not at the game. Didn't even get to watch it as much <laughs> as I would have liked. But, yeah, no, I have some thoughts on this for sure. Um, I think there's been a lot of good, man, busy call day. I've been working my tail off today with all these calls. Um, Nobody cares. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, <laughs> look, no, I was, I was an Oregon student the last four years. I've spent a lot of time around, you know, people ages 18 to 22 because it's around my age range. And stuff like this, you know, it, it happens. And like Sean and Sandy mentioned, you know, it, it happened at USC last year. It's an easy target, uh, you know, BYU. It's it's their school. And, you know, like foot, like students at schools, that, you know, with classes going on, there's a lot on these people's plates. Like they go to football games on the weekends 
and they get very drunk and they say things like this. So I, this was a very predictable thing. Uh, I think someone mentioned, you know, there was an Oregon parent about two months ago that said, please don't let this happen when we play BYU. It was predictable. Like, this was going to happen. I'm sure it's happened at other universities. Someone happened to film it. So, uh, you know, I think... Uh, what should it, happen it's to, the, to the students? What yeah, should happen? what's the remedy? You know, I think lifetime ban is tough, but I agree, like... You know, I could see I could see a, uh, a a season ban. You know, no no University of Oregon uh, events this season. I think yeah. that's a better because I think it was Anna that made the good point. You know, uh, it's people evolve, people get better, and like to never be inv- invited back to a University of Oregon event again is definitely steep. I think the uh, you know we want to say these campuses you're supposed to be learning and growing and maturing and developing. I think it's a great opportunity, not just for whoever gets a ban. But I think it's a good opportunity for the rest of the student body. Like, don't go off into the world after graduating and act like an idiot at a sporting event because there's a consequence oh. if you act like an idiot at a sporting event. There's so many more examples, though, like tenfold of fully grown adults I'm that saying, are beyond yeah. college age acting like total idiots yeah, at but, a sporting event. Did anybody get to them in college? <laughs> Like, just the, the point I want to get across is, like, this is what college students do, and it's very unfortunate, it's very dumb, but I've spent a lot of time in college student sections the last four years, and I've heard some things, you know, that are that are similar, and this <laughs> happened to get on film. You know, college <laughs> students, they're in the classroom all week, 18 to 22 isn't exactly the age yeah. range of maturity. They're not in a classroom right now. No, Come on, that school hasn't even started. Like, oh, those students, poor students they look playing at cornhole in the backyard all week. Yeah, I know. know. College <laughs> students look at Saturdays, and they circle it on their calendar and they say i'm going to get very drunk and do some stupid things on this day and that's exactly what you saw on saturday 503-417-7575 good stuff sean leave it here back to the bald-faced truth with john canzano on 750 the game Well, we've been talking a lot about this Oregon-BYU thing. I also want to say Bo Nix was pretty damn good. Yeah, people, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about Nix rhyming with picks. I had other people after Saturday going, well, it rhymes with six. And like, you know, it's the mindset of a fan base shifted. Why are you laughing at that? Is it corny? No, yeah. it's just fans are just so funny. You know, I've also seen statements about how when a team is losing it's a they thing oh they don't play well when the team is winning oh we did so well it's just fans crack me up i want to be like what 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 position how many tackles do you have (laughs) nate is in klamath falls listening on the great 960 a.m nate what's up man hey thanks for taking my call guys uh so i'm a fifth grade teacher And on the Oregon chant topic, um, I teach my kids that you draw the line at joking or making fun of someone for things that they can't control. Um, So thinking about that, I realized my kids would probably think it's okay to make fun of people for their choice of religion. Um, That was kind of an interesting perspective, I thought. Um, But my question, I guess, that might be interesting to discuss is how does this affect the already kind of new money attitude that the rest of college football has towards Oregon um, when they can point to this and say, like, yeah, the Ducks, they have no class. Look what BYU did pregame with the honoring and the flag and everything and then 
exactly yeah. how it turned out. I appreciate uh, that. I appreciate your work as a teacher too, by the way. Thank you for working with kids. But I, I feel like um, the new world money of college football only cares about the money in college football. It cares about the television households. It cares about the media money. I don't think that is in this equation. And I think, though, though it is a big, it's a larger societal issue when we talk about the loss of civility, talk about how people talk to each other, the TikToks that are made, people going up in stores and filming how Karen talks to the clerk. And, like, I just feel like we've, we're off the rails as a society. Like, it's... It maybe the good thing that comes out of this is it's a great opportunity for us to look in the mirror a little bit and go, all right, what are we doing when we're at stadiums? And you know, would we be embarrassed if somebody filmed you? If you're embarrassed of something you're doing at the stadium, you shouldn't be doing it. Leave it here. B F F T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Well, it's the 5 o'clock hour. That's the happy hour. We're here. We're happy to be here. I hope you're happy to be here as well. We'll start this hour with the 5 at 5. We'll only get about halfway through it before we break for Monday Night Football. There's a doubleheader tonight. Titans, Bills, Vikings, Eagles. A little producing on the spot here, John. That's not necessarily true. We're out at 5.30 today. That's what I meant. I said we'll get halfway through. Oh, I thought five, you meant halfway through the 5.05. Five. Halfway through the hour. Oh. <laughs> Never mind. Take it back. <laughs> Can we go to the tape? Did I say halfway through the 5.05? Five five? I don't know. doesn't matter. I care about you, the listener. Like I told Sean earlier, nobody cares. <laughs> All they care about is... We're going to get you through about 5.30 today. Listener, this is how the sausage is made. <laughs> in case you're wondering. Uh, and here's the funny part is, I don't even know when Stephen talked to me. Stephen, did you talk over the air or were you just in my ear? I talked over the air. Okay. Say, so I didn't even know that. Sometimes it's just the voices in my head. You know what I think would be a well, really... That, that's a different issue. Uh, no, you know what I think would be a really interesting... Um, would be a really interesting TV show? You know, because yeah, there's, there's a bunch I'm of shows. waiting with bated no, no, breath. No, no, There's a bunch of shows out there that are uh, kind of take you inside the psyche of people. What's the one yeah. we're watching right now? The The Patient. No, yeah, we're watching The Patient. Severance. Severance. Yeah. A friend of mine, Drew, turned me on to this show, Severance. And it's basically where these people that are employees of this company, if you're watching Severance, I apologize, you already know. But they uh, they undergo a procedure that divides their brain so that when they're at work, they have no knowledge of what they do outside of work. When they're at home, their uh, Audi, so to speak, doesn't know what that other person is doing at work. It's completely bifurcated, okay, which is a great study. I actually think it would be a really good um, TV show because I've thought about this. What if I'm just in a coma, okay? Here we go. I'm in a coma, and in my mind, I grew up as a kid who loved sports, okay? Yeah. I love sports. I love to play sports. I love to talk about sports. Yeah. I used to video, I used to audio record myself yeah. pretending to be the play-by-play announcer and I would I would replay entire games in my mind outside. What if I just got hit by a bus and I'm in a coma and I have invented this whole thing where I'm a radio show host mm-hmm. and a sports columnist. Yeah. But the truth is, I'm laying in a hospital bed somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
And like Steven's voice, Steven's like a nurse. And I've just, you know, I've, I've made him the producer of the radio show and he's in my ear all the time. Yeah. Anna, what are you? You're like, you know, somebody who's just walking, or maybe you're the doctor. occupational therapist. Yeah, you're the occupational therapist who comes in, and, <laughs> and you know, Sean, who's Sean? Sean's like the candy striper. I don't know. The handsome doctor. <laughs> He's the handsome doctor. <laughs> you're, like, the, right. you're the Grey's Anatomy As long doctor. as we're casting each other in this <laughs> drama. But I come out of the coma, and I think I host a radio show, yeah. and I'm a sports columnist, but the truth is, you know, I just got hit by a bus. Yeah. And I invented the whole thing in my mind. Yeah, it's highly possible. Does it work as a show? Now, I would say this, Anna. Mm-hmm. In, my, in my invented, you know. Drama. Drama. Yeah. I picked you yeah. as my wife. I created you. Yeah. Like, Lucky I, me. I, no, but I, w- I went like, this is what I would want in a wife. So actually, it's a real compliment to you that I think that this is a possibility. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally following you there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I didn't say, like, you know, yeah. Paulina Poroskova or Kathy Ireland is my wife. Yeah. I said Anna. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So, Thank you. by chance, have you guys ever checked out Black Mirror on <laughs> yeah. Netflix? Yeah. I've watched because what you're that. describing sounds exactly like a Black Mirror episode. And I'm not sure, like, uh, your, your plot is original, and I'm sure there isn't an episode exactly like it, but I've definitely seen episodes similar where you lose your memory, you make something up. Like, this is literally Black Mirror, what you're describing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now, I, would, I went back to the tape. You could go either way on what happened here. <laughs> you I really wanted, did. I what did I say? What did I say? Uh, I'll play it real quick. Okay. Here it is. Right, hold on. Start this hour with the five at five. We'll only get about halfway through it before we break for Monday night football. Mm-hmm. The hour. We'll start this hour with the five at five. We'll only get halfway through okay, it. Okay, but I see why Steven. It, it being the hour. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I like, what, I like what Anna's thinking right there. So just I stay, like, with that, stay with that thought, Anna. You, you saw what I was seeing. I'll, I did. But all of a sudden, I feel for Steven's wife, the fact that he went back to the tape. Is, is sticking with me. Is this how your arguments <laughs> at home goes? Because sometimes when we're arguing, I I, I just want to pull out my voice recorder mm-hmm. and and record so that I can go back and check him too. I can't but confirm I that I've had you know not arguments but discussions, and I'll be like, well, go check the text message, check the text, see what I oh, said. Oh, we do that. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I mean, I I would definitely do that. Go to the text. Yeah. You know what I say to Anna is I'll say, read me what I texted you, and she'll read it, but not in the tone or the voice that i texted it in yeah don't you know <laughs> be like text voice yeah yeah. yeah she'll be like you said to do this yeah. i'm like that's not how i texted I always it always interpret it was so much more snark than what he supposedly <laughs> intends yeah. say next time yeah you know do this that's and she'll be like next time do this and i'm yeah. like no that's not how i said it <laughs> not at all like, you put like a smiley face at the end or yes. something yeah. Or you just need, not text. You need to break stuff up. Let's just be emojis. real. They just get to a point where we all should not be texting. We shouldn't. We don't know how to do it. We're not good at it. Okay? As a society. Get over it. Okay. The five at five. We're going to get all the way through it. Let's do it. The five at five. Well, it was unfortunate for the Niners that Trey Lance went down with a season-ending uh, season ankle injury. But it was fortunate that they had another quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo came in in relief, helped the 49ers to a 27-7 win over the Seahawks. But Lance suffered a season-ending right ankle injury. He's uh, supposedly on the road to recovery already. But uh, 
The problem is Niners fans not thinking kindly on Kyle Shanahan, the coach of the San Francisco 49ers, questioning what Trey Lance was doing, running the ball so often. And uh, he got the ankle folded underneath him and uh, really difficult to see that in a young player. Hope he gets well. Really interesting now to see what the 49ers do with the quarterback that they had sort of parted ways with and now desperately need. Jimmy Garoppolo is the next man in in San Francisco after being the guy who was out. Number two, Anna, go. (laughs) Um, I think this is interesting. So the NBA and the Players Association are working to get rid of the league's long-standing one-and-done rule. Did you see this? The Athletic reporting that both sides are expected to, to agree on lowering the draft eligibility age from 19 to 18 as part of the new collective bargaining agreement. That would let players go to the NBA right out of high school, and this change could come as soon as the 2024 NBA draft. Interesting. Player, veteran players, probably, uh, I don't know. I, how do you feel about that? Why? I mean, where do you stand on that? Because there's one hand that people say, look, if you're good enough to go get a job, you should. the market won't lie. You should be able to go get a job. Other people go, look, it's not good for the game to have young players going into the league. They need a rule in place. And in fact, it needs to be more than one year that you should stay in college. Yeah, I don't, uh, I think the age thing is a little weird that they would, I think it's artificial. So I think that, like you're saying, the market will determine whether this makes it happen. But I mean, obviously we've seen a lot of successful stories with people that came pretty much right out of high school, right? A lot of, yeah, there are some, but there are some not successful stories. We like to talk about Kevin uh, Garnett and we like to talk about Kobe, Kobe, but... You know, uh, we got others. Yeah, there's you know probably a lot more. That yeah, didn't Sebastian do well. Telfair. There are more of those stories. Uh-huh. Number three, police in Las Vegas are investigating allegations that a fan in Vegas who was in the stands struck Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray amid the celebration as Arizona beat the Raiders in overtime. Murray was high-fiving spectators at Allegiant Stadium. And a man apparently reached out and smacked him in the face with an open hand. The video shows Murray appearing stunned but not injured. And then attempting to identify the attacker in the mostly happy crowd. Las Vegas police are investigating. Don't slap the quarterback. Why do we have to say that? Number four, Anna. Okay, did you guys talk about this already? It sounds like Giselle and Tom Brady have worked out some kind of compromise. We've already talked about how Giselle has made it clear she does not like him continuing to play football into his mid-40s, especially after he said he was going to retire. So I think what's being reported right now by the NFL, well, what is being reported by the NFL Network is that he's going to take a personal day each week of the season. That Brady will get, like this last week, he took Wednesday off and it was listed as a rest day. And so for the first time in his career, he will receive that same designation every Wednesday of the season. Man, I need to wake up from this coma and make myself an NFL quarterback (laughs) instead of a radio show host. (laughs) Got a rest day. Wednesday? Wednesday. Hmm. 
Hump day. Hump day. Finally, fifth thing in our five at five, Broncos coach Nathaniel Hackett. He's got a clock management issue. He talked to reporters today, and he and his staff had already uh, met on the topic this morning. But he said, uh, quote, I need to do better making decisions faster and quicker and getting that information to the quarterback, end quote. Broncos are now one and one. They beat the Texans 16 to nine. First regular season win for Hackett. Much better than week one where he attempted a 104 yard field goal instead of letting Russell Wilson try to get five yards. It wasn't 104 yards. It's like 60. What was it? 64? 66? I don't know. Anyway. They've had problems with the play clock. They've had penalties. They had four delay a game penalties this season, two in the win over Tex, uh, over the Texans. And uh, by the way, they used their last timeout of the second half on Sunday with seven minutes and 38 seconds left in the game because they couldn't get organized. That is the five at five. Hackett's got to do a better job with clock management. You know, I think that's one of the biggest things. We saw uh, the University of Miami over the weekend struggle. And Oregon fans looking over going, you know what, we remember that. As Miami struggled in a loss to Texas A&M. Couldn't get in the end zone, tried to run the ball six yards away from the goal line. It was a vintage Mario Cristobal coaching performance. Help me understand this. Yeah. How, 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 how is it that you get to this level and clock management as a coach is still an issue. I don't. I don't quite. There's a lot going that. on. There's a lot going on on the field. It, it's a harder job than it than it looks to be. But I, I just I, I made this point last week. I don't think Nathaniel Hackett was a good hire. I feel like they hired him just to recruit Aaron Rodgers. He he didn't even call plays for the Packers. I think he's underqualified for the position. Is there a way to improve your clock management skills? Like play Madden more, or like <laughs> have like a person next to you? I, like like seriously? Yeah, like, it's what, a person. It's a person. I found this out from Cristobal at Oregon. Like, he wanted control over everything. He was a control freak. He is a control freak. He's doing the same thing at Miami. By the way, they had 27 first downs in the game and no touchdowns. They're the first team in the history of college football to get 27 first downs without scoring a touchdown. But uh, Cristobal was struggling, people may remember, in year one with game management, clock management. He... um, Ran the football against Stanford. C.J. DeVerdell fumbled. Remember, Stanford came back, yeah. won that football game. Um, Cristobal struggled with that stuff, and he adjusted that by having somebody in the box sort of get in his ear in clock management situations, and he did better with that towards the end of his thing. I think the coaches get up there. There's a lot of moving pieces. You've never been a head coach before. You had limited experience. You're trying to control so many things. And you're not thinking about you're not thinking clearly, and what you need to be doing is anticipating and thinking clearly. When there's 38 seconds left and the ball's on the 33 yard line, you need to have already thought about how far can my kicker make this from? How many timeouts do I have? How much time do I want to leave on the clock? I think you need somebody on the staff whose job it is to kind of manage that stuff, who can get in your ear and going, just like the Manning cast, like you know Peyton Manning and Eli Manning were going. Take a time out here. Got to think about it. Mm-hmm. Like you need that person in your ear. And I don't think these young coaches who take over, the game's moving fast for them, and I don't think they're thinking about it, and I frankly don't think they have someone on their staff who's thinking about it. So you have to know if that's sort of an area of weakness for you. You've got to be able to find the right person to delegate that yeah. to. Them. And you need an exp- I thought Mario Cristobal got better. 
when he had Joe Moorhead as his coordinator on offense Mm -hmm. and Tim DeRuiter as his coordinator on defense, suddenly Cristobal was a little calmer uh, late in games in the last two minutes, whatnot. He wasn't perfect, but he was calmer, and I thought that was because he probably had two former head coaches who were in his ear in the headset going, hey, take a timeout here, or hey, we might want to run a play here. You know, it, just situationally, there are little things if the game's moving fast. It happens in basketball, too. Steven, you've been there. Like, you know, we see Chris Weber trying to call a timeout. Michigan doesn't have any timeouts left. Like, you need somebody who's going, hey, here's how many timeouts you have. Here many fouls to give. Here's who we want to foul. Like, somebody on the staff, that's their job. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, there'll be an assistant coach, if you're in a timeout, will say, at, like, right as you leave the huddle, you know, we have a timeout if we need it. Or we don't have a timeout if we, you know, if we don't have one. I agree with you. And, and to Anna's point, coaches is an interesting thing because they have to have some type of ego to get to that level, right? You know, to get to that high of a level at any profession, you have to have an ego, but you also have to recognize your downfalls. And if, you know, play to, or, uh, you know, clock management is one of those downfalls, you got to recognize it and get someone in there to help you out. Let's go to Josh in Vancouver. Josh, what's on your mind? Hey, John. So I, this is kind of a different take on the whole Mario Cristobal and his, uh, his inability to manage a clock well. Uh, I happen to disagree with you that I felt that you feel that he got better as things went on. I think maybe there were just less moments or opportunities where it was more critical that we saw the right thing happen. But here's the deal. Like, I look at, like, what Dan Lanning's doing right now, and there's moments where there's situational football. There's moments where you have to make these decisions, right? And if you're focused on the tempo of the game and the heartbeat of the game and the flow of the game, and you're paying attention to, you know, the finite things as a head coach, like the time and, you know, what kind of an opportunity do we have here? You know, do we have a team on their heels? If you're focused on those things as the head coach, there's a really good likelihood you're going to make the right call. If as the head coach, you're focused on, well, it's fourth and short and, you know, should we go for it? Well, you're probably going to make the right call. But if you're trying to wonder, should we go trap? Should we go counter? Should we pull, you know, three guards? Should we run a jumbo package? If you're literally micromanaging everybody, you're not thinking about the situational stuff. You're thinking about somebody else's job instead of the job you should be focused on. And I think that's where Mario Cristobal failed tremendously often was micromanaging what everybody else was doing instead of just letting and trusting that the people around him were capable of making quality decisions yeah. just staying in his lane as the head coach. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a great theory, and I, uh, you're probably not far off because I just know you know his personality. And I do think he was in the ear of his offensive coordinator, his defensive coordinator, special teams. He's making every decision. And all of a sudden you look up and you're like, hey, you might need a timeout here, and he doesn't recognize it. Or he didn't know he could have knelt on the ball at the end of that Stanford game and that, or punted it out of bounds, and the game would have been over. Instead, he ran a play. They fumble. Stanford gets the ball. Like, you know, I don't think he was thinking in that way, but that's part of his personality. And, he's, and co- let's face it, coaches are stubborn. It's hard to change their minds when they think they're right about something or they have a way of doing it. I felt like early on I was really hopeful that Dan Lanning would add an experienced coach to his staff as a consultant, you know, somebody like Jeff Tedford or Dennis Erickson or somebody like that that you could just lean on in in moments and games where you're like, 
not really seeing the big picture from 20,000 feet. But I think Cristobal is going to struggle with this uh, at Miami or wherever he's coaching. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, I'm trying to drill down. My spider senses are tingling on the Pac-12 front. I'm expecting that we'll get some clarity this week. Maybe we'll get some news this week. I want to be clear with what I'm saying here. Um, I just feel like the Pac-12 is, we all know they're in this media rights um, negotiation. We all know that they're exploring linear providers. They're exploring streaming services. They're exploring expansion feel like uh, we should get some kind of clarity or indication from the Pac-12 uh, this week on, on something and what's happening and some kind of um, update on what is going on with the Pac-12 conference. And I'm working on that. I know some other people are working on it. And hopefully tomorrow's show, Wednesday's show, we'll have some stuff to talk about and maybe kick around a little bit. But uh, I just want for a moment to talk about the Pacific Northwest teams. Can we marvel, guys, over the 11-1 and record? Washington looks great. Kalen DeBoer's got them playing. They beat Michigan State. Oregon State looks good. Uh, you know, they, they don't look great, and they're going to be without Luke Musgrave, it looks like, for the second straight week. Not likely to play in this USC game. And uh, without Trey Lowe at running back in this USC game, they'll be hosting the Trojans on Saturday in Corvallis. And it could be the last time USC comes to Research Stadium. Uh, they're leaving the Pac-12 conference uh, in 2024. They would not return for a scheduled conference game. I doubt they would take a non-conference game and come to Oregon State. This might be the last time that USC plays at Research Stadium. Uh, but uh, the Ducks looked good against BYU. Looked like a very different team. Best effort, most complete effort from an Oregon team since week two of last season when they went to Columbus, Ohio and won. Washington State is 3-0. Not ranked, but 3-0. Got a win over Wisconsin. They did it in broad daylight. Everybody saw it. But no respect from the AP voters at for Washington State. Uh, I took a look at the schedules of those four teams in, in conference play. Washington's got the easiest path. They don't play USC and they don't play Utah. They also have some other games at home that are favorable to them. Uh, meanwhile, Oregon does not play USC in the regular season, but does play Utah and has a brutal November where they have to play Utah and Washington and Oregon State uh, in succession. That will be a tough November for the Ducks, uh, but I still think they have the second easiest schedule behind Washington. Uh, Oregon State has it harder. They've got to play both USC and Utah, but they get Washington State at home this year. So I put Oregon State as the third easiest schedule. And the uh, fourth schedule is Washington State. They have the toughest. They play both USC and Utah. They have Utah at home. They go to USC, and they have to play at Oregon State. They also play um, Washington. I believe they're at home for the Apple Cup. But they play Washington, so they have to play everybody, and they have to go to Oregon State. And so I think it's a much tougher road by about two and a half games for Washington State versus Washington if we're handicapping this. And I think it's a tougher road for Oregon State versus Oregon. 
and certainly versus Washington. So I think Washington has the easiest path to maybe get to Las Vegas of the four Pacific Northwest schools. But, damn, they are all playing lights out, guys. Yeah, and, I mean, Michael Penix Jr., you know, when he's been healthy with Kalen DeBoer as his coach, he's been awesome, and it's been awesome this year. And they're throwing the ball down the field. That's something they hadn't done in so long. I'm buying all the Washington stock. I love the DeBoer hire, and it seems like, you know, you could be right that Washington may have, you know, a sneaker's chance to get to Vegas. Yeah, no, that's that's certainly right. It it could be, you know, it's going to be an interesting weekend this weekend for those four teams because obviously Oregon and Washington State, we're going to see who's better there. Preseason, I predicted that Washington State would win that game. I still haven't made my prediction now that we've seen them play three games, but I think it's going to be a really tough one for the Ducks. And, uh, you know, I think Washington, you guys are right, you know, they have an easy schedule. I can see them making it to Vegas and maybe making a run at the, uh, the CFP if really things fall aligned. I think it's going to be fun to watch this weekend. We'll talk more about it tomorrow. We'll have Jonathan Smith on the program. We're efforting Jake Dickert and Cam Ward at Washington State, and we'll have a whole bunch of updates. Uh, The bald-faced truth not here for a long time, just a good time.